the South Coast End Zone Podcast. Extended coverage of high school football from sports editor Lori Lose of the Standard Times. Now, the South Coast End Zone. Welcome back, high school football fans, to South Coast End Zone of the Podcast. We have a new host this week, and that is because... You're a longtime host. Oh, gosh, I don't even know how long she's been hosting this show. Something like six or seven years. It was, it was a YouTube show. It's a podcast. It's kind of been through several incarnations. But Lori Los had a happy and healthy baby daughter this morning, uh, October tenth, Wednesday. Uh, seven pounds, ten ounces. Uh, baby girl Lee actually is the is the family last name. So congratulations to Lori and her husband Rob. So in Lori's place, we have also happy and healthy. I think weighing in at a little more than 7 pounds, 10 ounces, local high school football fan and uh, Tabor Academy assistant football coach Sam Schilling. How you doing, Sam? Hey, doing pretty well. Kind of honored to be here on this special day for Lori Lose and her family, but uh, I'm going to do my best. Yes, uh, tall, uh, big shoes to fill here. For sure. She, she's got a lot of knowledge, um, been covering you know a lot of details, but... We're going to do our best. Power on here. So uh, I had to replace Tim Weisberg a few years ago. So I know what it's like to kind of come in and uh, have to fill in. So best of luck to you today. So first off, we're going to start off with Somerset at Aponiquit. That's a 630 game because the Lakers are playing all their home games at 630, which we very much enjoy around here. Uh, the Raiders are 2-2. Two and two. They have got a bye. They're coming off a 38-19 to 19 loss to Old Rochester. Aponiquit, 2-3. and three. They kind of had an up-and-down season. A little bit here, lost a couple, won a couple, and then uh, probably a fairly disappointing 34-7 to loss to DR. I don't know, uh, I didn't expect him to win, but I definitely expected that game to be a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it seemed to me that the 39 nothing loss to Old Rochester was kind of an outlier for the Lakers this season. They had a tough loss to Middleborough. They beat Seekonk. They beat Voketech pretty handily. And uh, coming into that, DR, I knew DR had a tough defense, but I didn't expect DR to be able to put up that much points, that, meant that many points on them. Uh, so that, that was kind of the surprising thing for Aponiquit last week. So this week they have Somerset Berkeley, which is coming off of a loss to Old Rochester, 38-19. to uh, Jake Meehan was kind of the big danger for them. So he threw and ran for over 100 yards against a pretty tough Old Rochester defense that never even went to its second unit. The game was always... Just close enough that they kind of still have the starters in there. Uh, now, a lot of that was later in the game when they had gone to kind of a more prevent defense, and they were just kind of forcing Somerset Berkeley to take time off the clock as they drove down the field. So there were a couple of late scores. The game really wasn't a game after a big second quarter for old Rochester. And Meehan, I want to say so he had 17 rushing yards at halftime, mm-hmm. kind of when the game was already out of, out of play. So um, now they Fernando Salas... Now I have to pronounce all these names for the other teams. Lori always did that for Solarzano. me. Solorzano. Solorzano, Jr. Uh, he's probably their uh, number two running back, like kind of number two ball carry, number one running back. Uh, but he only got four carries against Old Rochester. Uh, but Yeah, well, when you're playing from behind, you know, sometimes those stats, uh, you know, you don't get as many opportunities. You're, you're forced to throw the ball. I also think that the other thing that we're seeing right now in the SEC is that it is kind of a, a three-tier league. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of competitive games so you have the ORRs and the DRs uh and they're kind of in a class by themselves maybe case we'll find out in a little while yeah case undefeated then, still um i think Somerset Berkeley's in a funny spot because they can't you know they've uh, been beaten both times they've played up d- against DR and uh ORR but it looks like they're still kind of in that situation where 
uh, from the outside, it would look like they would probably beat up a little bit on a Poniquit. Yeah, um, so it's kind of a big question of uh, kind of where Somerset Berkeley is. Are they closer to that top tier? Or are they closer to that middle tier where a Poniquit is? Yeah, and you've you've seen a Poniquit play this year, have you? Yeah, I have. Uh, I saw him play twice. I kind of throw, like I said, I throw out the first one against Old Rochester. Yeah, they didn't a, show a whole a lot. Buzz, but buzzsaw, exactly. Right Old Rochester, especially at that point, they uh, they were just running on all cylinders. Uh, they still had Will Garcia at that point, so. And then the second game, I saw them beat Voke Tech uh, and really control the first half, but it was boosted a little bit by a couple defensive scores. You can't always count on 14 points or 12 points out of your defense. Mm -hmm. And then Voke Tech was able to move the ball in the second half against a lot of Aponiquit second string. Uh, So I was pretty enthused. I mean, they got a lot of sophomores there. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Chase Gorman, the quarterback, is a sophomore. Their number one receiver, their tight end. Uh, Michael Henriksen is a sophomore, and then their top running back is uh, Kevin Hughes is also a sophomore. So, but then they also recently have been counting a lot on Brent Dixon. He scored the last couple weeks in a row, uh, mm-hmm. touchdown passes last week, a rush the week before. So that could be key for them. And then they've also gotten Shane Cooney back on defense, which has been pretty vital to them. Yeah, I saw these guys play last year, and again, Chase Gorman was playing as a you know a freshman, undersized, but they really chucked the ball around. Um, was really impressed. I guess it sounds like they're a little more balanced now with Kevin Hughes coming and uh, Brent Dixon being yep. back healthy. Uh, but, you know, really impressed with what they were doing. Um, but would you say, you know, they're predominantly running the ball? and They're they're majority running the ball, but they can definitely beat you with the pass. I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to dial up a few of those. They like to pass on first down uh, so, and uh, certainly like uh, second shorts. So I have always have a hard time getting a read on the Lakers because they – they don't do anything terribly. Like, there's no, like, you just look at them and you're like, oh, that's the problem right there. Uh, but then they just don't always seem to, to win or keep close in the games that I sometimes expect them to. Yeah, so, I mean, and this will be kind of their... Uh, this will be a big... T- this is kind of really shows where they are. Yeah, kind of their big opportunity to show that they can, you know, after, obviously, the ORR game was a uh, uh, challenging loss and then DR was sounded fairly similar, at least on paper. And so now it's kind of their opportunity to say you know punch above their weight class a little bit and you know and again when you have a, a nucleus so a starting tight end running back and and quarterback that are all sophomores getting time i mean that's that's well ahead of schedule and there's only four seniors I on think, this whole team you know and sometimes you you forget you know we're used to college and, mm. and professionals but you know when you're playing as a sophomore most of your te- most of your fellow classmates are are playing jv or you know whatever so they're they're way ahead of the curve so if they can you know again find ways to shorten the game, find ways to get, you know, fewer possessions, uh, be efficient on third down, whatever it is to stay on the field and kind of chew some of that clock. And, you know, cause again, right now they're looking at a 34 to seven, uh, you know, defeat at the hands of DR and a 39 to nothing loss to ORR. So it's like, how can you narrow that gap so mm-hmm. you can be playing into the second half? Cause I think that's a big thing. That's a big, uh, gap to close is that you're playing meaning, meaningful minutes in the, in the second half of game. So, um, again, Absolutely. I, Three and three is going to feel a lot different than two and four. For yeah. sure. And again, you're building around a young core. This, these could be really meaningful games for that, that trio right there. Yeah, so that one's 6.30. Somerset Berkeley at Aponiquit. Next one is uh, the records don't make it look like it for us here on the South Coast, though. It's, it's a highly anticipated game. Uh, I'll actually be covering this one myself. New Bedford at one and four at Dartmouth at one and four. I don't think anyone expected uh, those to be the records when these two teams matched up in week six. And the Whalers, though, are coming off of a nice win. Yeah. Finally got on the win, on the win side of the column against Bishop Fian. 
They fought back in a game where they faced some adversity. They were called for 125 penalty yards. Uh, Fian scored 21 fourth quarter points. But the Whalers really showed some resilience, and that's what they would really need to show after just like just reading the seven to six, nine to six, and three to nothing were three of their first four scores this year. Yeah, and then that BR game was twenty seven fourteen, but there was a defensive touchdown scored by BR. So mm-hmm. you know you kind of look at the, you know outside of a fluke play, they're playing uh, a very good BR program to a one score game. You so know? that that's a deceiving one and four record for New Bedford. The one thing that was a little crazy in the Fian game is the defense had been so good all year. And Fian was actually able to move the ball uh, 431. Both teams actually had exactly 431 offensive yards. And they were... Which you which, couldn't do if you tried. They kind of threw the air. I know they had Christian Foria's son who put yeah, up big so numbers. He, yeah, he put up big numbers. They, they threw a lot. Uh, they were able to run it a little bit. Um, I want to say it was like 240 rushing yards, like a, or 240 passing yards, 190 rushing yards, if I'm remembering it off the top of my head. Uh, but New Bedford kind of did all the things they were supposed to do this year. Like, Canto ran for 165 yards. True threw for 200 yards. Baron Hilton returned to kick off 80 yards. Shahid Barros got into the passing game. Like, they kind of yeah. did, you know, True Brendan, had Brendan a close Modis rushing a nice yard. Game, he did. I think it was four grabs or something yep. and uh, 75 yards, I think it was. Uh, so they kind of did all the things that you've been waiting for that offense to do all season. And then all of a sudden, the defense seemed to take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, and you wonder, again, you you were at the game, but, you know, it, it sounded to me like uh, the younger Foria, I don't know his name, but, you know, he's, Caleb. A, he's a fairly legit talent. And yeah, 6'5", like he, he, legitimate you know, size, legitimate speed, had a couple of beautiful catches, like great hands. Yeah, so occasionally... They I weren't think, throwing to him early, and I was talking to the guy next to me, and we're like, why aren't they throwing to him more? Like, because he just looked... When he when he's lining up, he's lining up at cornerback too, and he just like looks bigger yeah, than when everyone you, out there at the high school level. And we're like, he must have bad yeah. hands. Why aren't they throwing it to him? And it was it seemed like maybe they were saving a lot of that for the second half because mm-hmm. he had like one catch for nine yards in the first half, and then like 120 receiving yards in the game. Yeah, so you know some of that when you have an exceptional talent at the high school level, and you can get because you know again uh, Jeremy DeCruz had a nice uh, pick six, so they do have some talent in the secondary, uh, New Bedford traditionally, but you know occasionally when you run up against those six foot four, six foot five, legitimately athletic guys who from the you know again I have no idea in terms of recruiting, but it sounds like you know that's a one double A or currently FCS caliber at least type talent yeah, if I'd, not. Yeah. He could um, be playing FBS. I could see someday. He's still a junior, so yeah. And you know, there's a lot to be played. And then obviously he's going to get looks because of the because of his um, his father and yep. his background. Uh, but he sounds like a very legitimate talent. And sometimes you run into those. Teddy guys. Bruschi will probably let a, people, a couple people know uh, that there's would, this guy on the team. So <laughs> I would a, think so. He's a volunteer assistant coach uh, for Fian as well. His son's on yeah, the team as but, well. But good for these guys for for battling back. And it could have been easy to give in, but they showed a lot of resiliency in that fourth quarter. And I'm really excited. I'd have to if you know pick in New Bedford. We've kind of spent a little bit more time with New Bedford. Bedford here we can shift over to Dartmouth um, but I think you know on paper based on the common opponent of BR uh, New Bedford you know put up a pretty good fight 27 to 14 like we said giving up that defensive touchdown you don't want to get too into comparative scores because again every game is its own mm-hmm. uh, but Dartmouth kind of took it on the chin last week 34 to nothing and the um, Indians have really struggled to score this year they have four touchdowns all season I haven't actually, this will be the first time I get to see him play, so I can't speak too much to exactly what they're doing scheme-wise and stuff, but it just seems like it's been just an uphill battle to move the ball down the field yeah. for the Indians this season. But you hope that they, they start reaping the benefits of scheduling such a challenge. And even one of those touchdowns, I think, was a special teams, a kickoff return against uh, Durfee for a touchdown. So, Yeah, yeah, um, but at the same time, though, Central Catholic is a top 
uh, you know, probably five program in the state. Uh, Milton is a very good program. They scheduled them because they, you know, had played each other in the Super Bowl. Attleboro sounds like they have a very good team this year. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, having uh, NBR is always great. Yeah, taking those taking those tough lumps that they can start figuring out. And the one thing that they do consistently is defensively they're very scheme and gap sound so they run a defense that they've been running since they've started having success in the you know early 2010s when they really started grooving um i even I later uh, jordan todman yeah, and those teams were 20 2008 and yeah stuff, i so, can't yeah. speak to their defensive scheme i know uh it but was they've had a good decade time, of success. Yeah, now, they've yeah. had very good, but they run their stuff. They keep two safeties high. They force you to drive on them, which in the past has been New Bedford's uh, Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. They were really good home run, explosive plays. But if you force them to string together a 12, 14, 15 play drive. Because once every five or six plays, they're going to do. They're going to get a penalty. Shoot themselves gonna in the foot. They're going to take a sack. They're going to, mm-hmm. although they had no bad snaps this last game, they're going to have you know, some type of thing where they, they just didn't seem like they could continue a drive for 10 plays right so if if they can stick with that formula of getting uh latrell canto uh the you know a number of carries maybe running true a little bit on some qb powers qb keeps and then also making because usually what dartmouth does is they spread out their um outside linebackers to cover slots so if you do that you're only looking at a five-man box so if new bedford can uh you know just be consistent with trying to you know, carve up and get those hard yards and just going back to the well. Um, I think they could have a lot of success, but again, it's going to be an interesting first half to kind of see yep. what uh, the shape this game takes. And you're I'm in Dartmouth excited. Field, which is a little dark too. Like it doesn't really lend itself to like a long passing game usually, mm-hmm. uh, but it should be interesting. Like I'm sure the Indians will be very up for this game. Like, yeah, I would venture to both say both teams at yeah. one and four. Like this is their last. They can't. Neither team can lose again. If they have any hopes of making the playoffs, it's got to be the best one in four matchup in the state, and I'd probably, maybe yeah. greater than because I mean they're both. That's not uh, hyperbole. That's probably true. Yeah, that's it's going to be a fun one. I'm definitely going to be there. So let's so that's New Bedford at Dartmouth, uh, seven o'clock on Friday night. Let's go to a couple teams with the opposite records. We're going to flip the mirror here. Cohasset four and one at Bishop Stang four and one. The Spartans are coming off their first loss of the season, and uh, they lost seventeen to fourteen to Coyle Cassidy. In a tough loss there, but they still showed some good things. You know, they and they were four and zero coming into that, and having beat Seekonk, Cardinal Spellman, Sandwich, and Carver Sacred Heart, they still moved the ball decently. Uh, Justin Lopes had a couple of rushing touchdowns. Now these are two teams that haven't played each other, uh, but we have a little bit of an idea. Uh, New Bedford has played Cohasset in the past, um, and then Fian and Stang obviously play. So we got a couple of kind of like games you can look at. Uh, it's tough to say, though, how good Cohasset actually is. Their wins are against Rockland, Nantucket, Hull, and a 14 nothing win over Atlantis, in which, uh, from what I've heard, they didn't play any of their starters. So you can kind of just cross that one off as reading into it. And then they lost 27-23 to Mashpee last week. Yeah, and I can't speak to any of those teams. I know Nantucket has been good in years past. The, the two island schools, Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket has, you know, really taken over that rivalry and really been pretty solid i've heard they got a lot of big kids and do good things so to me that stands out as a fairly impressive win 28 27 we know cohasset it's funny because it's one of the smaller schools in the state to have like a really uh impressive athletic mm-hmm. uh kind of program they i know. always struggle to find opponents i feel like because of that they're yeah because like, i, I think they only have seems. you know 100 kids per class they're in the 400s for a full high school uh, but they have a lot of success obviously athletic tradition is really strong there. really good uh lacrosse program so i would be pretty impressive and then those south shore teams the situates uh cohassets even into duxbury and obviously some of the bigger schools marshfield and mansfield and schools like that um 
you know, they're they're pretty talented. Mm-hmm. So I would think that on paper, I would be thinking Cohasset. And again, it's it's really hard without common opponents. I was impressive pressed with what I saw out of Bishop Stang in their opening uh week win against Seekonk. Uh, you know, they they run their stuff. Uh they don't you know uh the most impressive thing justin lopes does is he you know he reads those defensive ends he's he's either he's keeping or he's giving it up and now to add uh in addition to you know um he has nine rushing touchdowns he's only two uh actually the last quarterback at bishop stank to score double digit rushing touchdowns charlie mckeeman with 11 in 2012 then went on to uri URI as a tight end there and uh yeah nice nice four-year career actually five year i think he's redshirted and uh, now, so Cahasset has led. They have a quarterback, Matt Lund, uh, who seems like he's pretty impressive. I found like three games worth of stats for him, and he had five touchdown passes in those three games. Uh, he, his main receivers are Cliff Ward and Mark Mahoney. Uh, their main running back is Gray Thomas, and it looks like they also run the ball with uh, Tucker Fulton sometimes. So there's some names to look out for from Cohasset, which is visiting Bishop Stang at 7 o'clock on Friday in a matchup of two four and one teams. Yeah, that I, I mean, it's going to be a real test. I I would venture to guess in terms of obviously Coyle seems like they got a good squad this year, but um, on paper it would seem like Cohasset is the strongest opponent that Bishop Stang's faced, and we'll find out a little bit more about Coyle this week when they take on uh, Bishop Fian for that EAC uh, kind of probably the championship. Yeah, and then we'll see what Fian well, and I think Stang only do three, later. Three teams now. In three the teams. EAC. So Coyle's one and zero. Stang's zero and one, and Fian hasn't played anyone yet. Right, right, right. So Fien could kind of go either way. So you know, yeah. you don't know what uh, Stang and Fien are going to do in Week Seven. So the next game here, we got Fairhaven two and three, coming off a su- surprisingly lopsided score-wise loss. But I don't think the game was actually as lopsided as the score looked uh, to Bourne and Old Rochester, which just after uh, kind of winning a tough one against DR, got back into kind of cruising mode against Somerset Berkeley. And like I said, didn't really have too much trouble in that game. So Fairhaven had played four really, well, three really close, really tough games with a win over Wareham in there. And that 47-19 to loss to Bourne, I know they were only down 14-12 to at halftime. Uh, they had some issues with fumbles and interceptions, but... That one, that was probably the score last week that surprised me the most. And did you get any, what was the story? So, again, 14 to 12 at half, and then to, you know. I know they lost a fumble coming out of the half. They threw an interception uh, near the goal line at one point. Uh, But Drew McComber had a good game, two touchdowns. Uh, Bryce Dupree kicked two field goals. That's the first time anyone for Bishop Stang has kicked multiple field goals in a game since 1979, 39 years since Billy Tevs did it. Shout out uh, Billy Tevs. Yeah, Billy Tevs, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, Cam Gordon, so they, they've, they played a whole bunch of different quarterbacks in this game. Freshman Cam Gordon was 6 for 12. Uh, Alex D'Almeida was 2 for 3. Drew McComber threw a pass. And uh, actually, uh, Peter Joseph threw three passes as well. So they're definitely mixing it up. They, yeah. they do like to throw a lot of different looks at you over there. Well, to me, this sounds a little bit like you get down and then you're forced to do something that you're not as comfortable doing. Like Fairhaven... I like talk about taking a time machine last year. They were running the, the wishbone. And then uh, when I saw him in the preseason at the Jamboree, you know, they were sprinkling in some wing tea. So it's really fun for kind of football historians watching it and see that, you know, this offense still really works. Yeah. There's only, you know, three variations and you can go either mm-hmm. side, but it's, it gets the job done. But if you go down two scores in the second half, all of a sudden you're forced to throw the ball and maybe do some stuff that you don't practice as much because, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust is, is not going to, 
get you back in the game and then all of a sudden you can see that disparity kind of grow so maybe maybe that was what's going on yeah and the wing key um, works well because they have three different guys that can give you different looks running the ball mm-hmm. so i got owen sabula who's kind of emerged as like the primary guy the big yardage guy that zach Giot's kind of like the fullback pounded out for two three yards and then uh, Drew McComber and Flynn Borgalt are kind of the other two guys that they can yeah, mix in there. Wings. Borgalt being like a mm-hmm. smaller, shiftier, quicker guy. Yeah, because that was what uh, the Wareham, the Isaac Nascimento era Wareham had run with so much success. And mm-hmm. they had, you know, Dylan DeWolf when he had their year as a freshman. He's kind of that B back, that big back that lines up directly behind center. And then you got these wings that can kind of do run counteraction or uh, do all that. So, I mean, if they can, if they can keep it close. Uh, but I, you know, I don't think they're they're built to play in a shootout, and uh, you just wonder with ORR, it doesn't seem like, you know, you can you can speak to their success, but it seems like they have not run into outside of DR. So DR's defense gave them fits, although DR wasn't able to do that much offensively on them. So nobody's really done a lot uh, offensively on the Bulldogs' defense. They now it is sounding like Will Garcia is going to be out for the season here. Oh, so that's that's the- a big hit. So. Uh, not exactly sure. We know he went out with an ankle injury, um, so it, it could be that. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the word. Uh, so they're going to be kind of going with a that. combination of Desmond Diaz, who's kind of in the Harry Smith role mm-hmm. now, and then uh, Jackson Cody is kind of – it was kind of him and Anthony Childs were getting – you know, both getting a good share of the work, and Childs will definitely still use as a wide receiver and a running back. But it seems like it's going to be kind of Cody and, and Diaz as we go forward here the rest of the season. And uh, so Cody doesn't he doesn't quite have the the size or the strength. He's he's pretty quick. Uh, he makes really good decisions. He's really good at uh, knowing when to cut back. So they use him on the outside a lot. But he's kind of really good at kind of reading that wide receiver block and knowing if he should break it to the outside or cut back inside. Mm-hmm. He's very impressive there. And they definitely have much more of a passing attack this year. Tyler No has just been incredible. He made a brilliant one-handed tap-to-himself catch. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Against that was, Somerset Berkeley. That nice was job, Cameron, one of the man. best high school catches I've seen in a couple of years. I'm thinking uh, Matt Craig maybe was the last guy who made a catch that good that I can remember. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, old Rochester, they got kind of everything going. Obviously, the losing Will Garcia is going to be big. It also reduces their depth there. So, like, one more injury at running back, and maybe you are going to have to because they haven't been using Dylan DeWolf there. He's been playing primarily linebacker, I think, in order to kind of save his knees. We know he's had his knee issues. Um, so if he has to start playing two ways, you know, that could tire him out or you could end up with more injury issues. So, obviously, that'll be big for them, but they've already proven they've won the last two weeks against the two toughest teams on their schedule without him. Yeah. No, I think ORR is um, the the class of the league right now. So, yeah. you know, you hope the recipe for they've already locked or- They've locked up the SEC large. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they will, uh, chances are, be playing case in the SEC uh, championship game. I think uh, I think Bourne technically could still, and then there'd be a coin toss or something, because Bourne only has one conference loss. So if mm-hmm. Bourne beat case, I think they play in week seven. Anyway, so... But uh, Ole Rogers will be playing in the SEC championship game. They locked up the SEC large. And here's a stat for you. In their last 33 games, the Bulldogs are 29-4. and four. After an 0-5 starter on Justin Kogler, they've now won 29 in the last 33 games. Yeah, all those people that were calling for Justin Kogler's job. Yeah. <laughs> At 0-5. How, yeah. do, how, do like, how do you like him now? <laughs> yeah, he's going, uh, he's going Matt Damon on him yeah. uh, in, a, in a Southie bar or Cambridge bar. How do you like them apples? Was. Yeah. Uh, so that is uh, Fairhaven uh, sitting at two and three. Another team kind of like a Pontiac, where three and three looks a lot different than two and four to you. Uh, and they're going to be playing at Old Rochester five and zero at seven o'clock on Friday. Moving ahead, we got Dighton Rehoboth, uh, who we talked about uh, a couple times here already. They're sitting at three and two. They are at 
Greater New Bedford Vogue Tech, which last week got its first win under first-year head coach Justin Cruz. They were able to beat Martha's Vineyard 27-14, to despite falling behind 14 nothing without ever touching the ball. So they kind of had another resilient win for a New Bedford team. Wait, say that last bit. They fell, they fell behind 14 nothing before they ran a play. Oh, wow, and then came back and to win. And then came back to win 27-14. 27 unanswered. Hey. Um, and kind of each, each of the main guys got involved there, kind of the names you hear. So, uh, so their quarterback, Almedia, uh, ran for 149 yards, completed a couple passes. Uh, uh, Davin Barros uh, ran for 52 yards on 12 carries, and uh, Dana Hayward made both of the catches. So those are kind of like the, you know, the names. They're kind of big three. The running back, the wide receiver, the, the quarterback. Yeah, and I think those guys are, are – all coming back. I can't speak to Barros's uh, year, but I think Ethan Almeida and Dana Hayward are both juniors. I think all three are juniors, if I remember correctly. Nice. So, yeah, something there. to build on. And again, you know, Dighton Rehoboth, like we said earlier, is kind of the uh, right up there with uh, ORR, maybe a half step behind ORR. So, you know, G- uh, Voke has their work cut out for them. And you go, you know, you always hear there's no moral victories, but, you know, there's something to be said for playing a team tough and, mm-hmm. you know, coaching. Um, again, I've been on, you know, we've we've all been there. But when you're on a team that is struggling and building a program, like you got to, you know, just break it up five minutes here, five minutes there and just say, you know, what can we take away from this? What can we do well on defense? What can we, you know, how can we string some first downs together? How can we shorten the game maybe a little bit? And And DR isn't that prolific on offense. It's going to, DR is going to have to drive down the field to score. Joe Carrera is kind of their main running back. So if Votech could kind of keep it, you know, 14, nothing at the half or something like that, that's, you know, I think there could be some victories there, even in a loss, if, they can kind of put up, uh, you know, lose by just a couple, maybe three scores or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't see Voktek moving the ball a ton. DR's defense took Old Rochester out of its game for two full quarters, where I think Old Rochester had one first down for two quarters of play. So yeah. their defense is solid, but uh, you, you can slow down their offense quite a bit. So they Voktek has a chance to kind of keep this one in range. Yeah, and they're playing playing at home. I'm, I hope they have, you know, a nice crowd and uh, – you know, congratulations to Justin Cruz. I think that seemed to me like a really good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Great again, energy guy, kind yeah. of just reinvigorating. The People are excited again. Uh, so I think that, again, this isn't a move that, you know, it takes a little while to, for that stuff to bear fruit sometimes. But I think he's he's a great great guy, lo- local guy, great story. Um, and I think uh, they're, they're in good shape moving forward. We just talked about Justin Kogler starting 0-5. Yeah. Dennis Golden won only three games his first year at Bishop's. Now that these coaches are all exactly the same, but kind of first-year coaches, it's always a little bit of an uphill battle that first and, year. Yeah. Especially when you're changing around systems, you're not – you know, sometimes it, like a DR, it's an assistant coach who kind of takes over and just kind of tries to continue the success. Mm-hmm. But each of these coaches kind of come in and put their own fingerprint on things. And uh, so far, you know, it seems like at least the Voktek bench is – as upbeat and chipper as I've seen it in several years. Yeah, yeah. And football, I mean, it's just a complex game. There's a lot of levels, uh, you know, sides of the ball. So, uh, shout out. But, yeah, hopefully, you know, keep it competitive and just, just keep grinding. That's uh, Dighton Rehoboth. It's sitting at 3-2 and two at Greater New Bedford Vogue Tech, sitting at 1-4 and four at 7 o'clock on Friday. And we're on to our last Friday night game, Case 5-0 and oh at Wareham 0-5. Oh so, uh, Case... Uh, can move to six and zero. Probably will move to six and zero here. They're a team I'm pretty intrigued by. I haven't actually seen them play. Uh, they got a trio of guys who run the ball a lot: Chris Costa, Ty Kudo, and Daniel Silva. Silva's also the quarterback, and uh, Clayton Dyer is kind of his main target. So um, obviously, we all remember Brendan Costa, uh, Chris's older brother. Chris is kind of a very different athlete, but uh, exceptional in his own way. 
longer, longer strides, kind of a smoother runner, not quite the like compact cannonball that Brendan Costa was. Yeah, shout out, and Brendan Costa's playing up at Bates. Uh, yeah, starting playing, quarterback. Starting up quarterback, there. they're running the air raid, so uh, I think things are trending up for those guys. He's playing along uh, with uh, Matt Golden. Matt Golden, yep. so there's some local uh, Nescat crossover, which is kind of cool. I don't, they don't really play too close to. I guess Tufts would probably be the closest. Yeah, I haven't got him to Maine yet to see him. Yeah, so. no, that would be a little bit of a troop. That but I know Dennis said, Golden is usually there well, after know, every one of his games. Yeah, well, you know what's beautiful this time of year is uh, Western Mass, and they do play Williams and Amherst. I don't know if it's home or away, but you know, if you, you go, got a, little got a day trip, trip, wake up early, grab a cup of coffee, maybe some cider, I'm sure head you out can there. hop in the car with the Goldens. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, I'm not going to – I don't want to volunteer. <laughs> I, I can't speak to that, but uh, it, would, it would be fun. And again, Brennan Costa was a really impressive talent. I remember I saw him play Wareham. They played him really tough again that mm-hmm. Isaac Nascimento, I think his junior year. That was really fun. And the impressive thing to me about Case was they went from this super spread all, you know, four wide. And then the next year, talent changes. Brendan mm-hmm. Costa, kind of a transformational talent, moves along. And the- that was a big question was could they sustain it after they – and they had a couple of really good athletes in that class too. Yeah, but, but to looks then, like they can. But to switch systems to me was really impressive because yeah. then they were running more kind of option stuff, run heavy, uh, multiple backs. It sounds like you know over five games they've only thrown the ball 42 times, so it's very different. That was – that could have been a stat line for Brendan Costa in one game, you know, 42 passes for 196 yards, and this is accumulated over five games. So, uh, you Just know, a I, note, I could only find three games of offensive numbers for them, so that is through three, three games they threw 42 times. Okay, so, but so we'd average that out to, you know... My, my notes are, very, are somewhat indecipherable here at everyone, so... 14 pass attempts per game, per game on yeah. the three games yes. that we had stats, <laughs> uh, just to, you know, cross our T's and dot our I's. Uh, so but, Wareham, though, showed a little bit of improvement last week. Frank Cass seemed uh, a little optimistic about what he saw. They seemed like the offense had been, you know, Eric Zion boomer bust. Mm. If they could get Eric Zion a touchdown or two, they'd score. If not, they wouldn't. Uh, whereas last week, uh, Siler King had a 75-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. And uh, a freshman, Jamari Santiago Pyre, scored on a 25-yard touchdown run. And then Isaac Pinero, their quarterback, he missed one week. Uh, he's back now. And he was able to throw for two two-point conversions. Uh, one of them was to the big tight end, Dominic LaBelle. So, uh, you know, if they could get, you know, there's a few names that we kind of talk about each week. There's not a whole lot of true football players on this team. Mm-hmm. They go maybe five or six deep in, like, kind of legitimate varsity guys. But, you know, it, what they're looking for is progress. They're probably not getting in the win column in this game, but make a little bit of progress here. And then once when they get into those non-playoff games and they're playing other likely Division Eight teams that didn't make the playoffs, that's when they should really kind of finally get on an equal playing field. Yeah, and they'll be heading into that crossover game, so they'll play one of the big schools, so probably like a Voke. Probably Voke, yeah. You know, so, so again, they'll have a competitive game there, and then, again, it, when they kind of reseed and reshuffle before Thanksgiving. So, yeah, it's still a lot to play for, and I've heard, it, you know, Isaac Pinero can really throw the ball, and Eric can. Stein can do some he good things. He looks apart, definitely. That's right. So, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, keep battling but again it's you know football's a tough game when you start losing those numbers and you see those sidelines that have you know 22 23 guys like there's a reason why you know uh what at division one 85 scholarships are granted <laughs> and you know you got walk-ons like you need numbers and you also need numbers to 
to get guys to compete. Yep. So I think it's it's tough. And it and, changes how you play when you're so worried about getting an injury. Yeah, yeah. You got to mind guys. And then there's always that, you know, you get hurt when you're worried about getting hurt mm-hmm. kind of thing because you're a half step too slow. You're not protecting yourself. Um, so hopefully, you know, they can they can battle through this. But, you know, they've, they've played tough teams before and start building for kind of that second, uh, you know, third of the season when they're going to be in some competitive games. Mm-hmm. And get some momentum going into next year. They have a freshman program this year. They got about 15 freshmen on that team. So, mm-hmm. you know, they could build a little momentum. A lot of these guys that we're talking about, Tyler King can come back. Obviously, Santiago Pires, Eric Zion's still a junior. So, you know, they got uh, they could bring some of those guys back if those freshmen kind of grow, like we saw some guys at Aponiquit mm-hmm. emerge as sophomores. Uh, they could be a little more competitive next season. Yeah, and there's always that. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, Wareham's basketball bench, and you got, you know, obviously you have some some high-level skill guys, but you always have, you know, pretty good athletes. So maybe mm-hmm. it's doing some recruiting in the hallways, getting some of those guys to come out. And the other thing about Fran Cass is his background as a uh, athlete athletic uh parks and rec director i mean I, I think he knows how to make things fun and make things uh engaging so hopefully some of that they're seeing that and it's becoming a program where despite the tough record kids want to come out kids want to play and they're enjoying it because it is it can be a really fun game for sure absolutely so that's it for our friday slate we got one saturday game this week one that i think the records are very deceiving i don't think this game is necessarily exactly the way these records look so it's bristol plymouth is sitting at zero and five they are playing at Cole Old Colony, which is 4-1 and one at 1 o'clock on Saturday. But Beepley plays a much tougher schedule than Old Colony. So I don't know I don't know that Bristol Plymouth is better than Old Colony. I'm not even sure that they are. But I'm pretty sure this is not really a 4-1 and one versus an 0-5 oh game. So BP lost 42-13 uh, to 13 to Case, 31-0 to Coyle. 40 to 7 to Southeastern, 41 to 6 to Tri-County and 20 to nothing against Diamond. Now Tri-County, Diamond, those are usually some of Old Colony's toughest games of the season each year. Whereas Old Colony has beat Cathedral 16 to 6, they beat Keefe Tech 21-14. They lost 8 nothing to Cape Cod Tech, they won 22 to 8 over Blue Hills. And then last week, a big game out of Kyle Shoals, 173 rushing yards, couple of scores, three interceptions from Matt Bumpus, uh, and Kyle Shoals had a fourth. Led them to a 30-6 to win over South Shore. So the defense has been really strong for the Cougars all year, and the question mark for them has kind of been the offense. They kind of ride that roller coaster of whether their offense is effective or not. Obviously, it wasn't in the 8 nothing loss to Cape Cod Tech. Uh, even in a couple of their wins against Cathedral, they really only had, they only had two touchdowns. So kind of how the offense goes is a lot of how the Cougars go because that defense is putting up four of its five games. It's only allowed one touchdown. It's only allowed six touchdowns in five games. Mm-hmm. Well, that's got to be a good sign, you know, 30 points uh, last game and, you know, uh, Kyle Schultz putting up some big numbers. So hopefully maybe they found a little bit. Um, and Bumpus is also a weapon on offense. Uh, so the, it's really going to come down to, I guess, like, my guess is it's going to be a low-scoring game. Bristol Plymouth has four touchdowns all season. Old Colony's allowed six. Mm-hmm. But last week's 30 points is the first time Old Colony had more than three touchdowns in a game. So... They're also not putting up a ton of points on the board. And there's not much of a passing. They're actually our only team in our of the uh, nine that we cover that does not have a passing touchdown this season. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it could be a little bit of a Rosetta Stone because, again, Mayflower, the, the, the issue I have, I, I shouldn't say, I was about to say problem, but it's not really a problem. With old, old Colony, is just I don't often see they don't have common opponents. So even mm. if you know, you're in the bottom half of the SEC, I, there's usually someone that I've seen locally or something like that. Old Colony almost operates sometimes without any... Uh, context for kind me. of on a bubble in yeah its own, so yeah. now you have you know them playing a, a bristol plymouth team that lost uh pretty big to case and then lost significantly to coil who again just eked out um uh 
Stang, Stang. but sounded like a very evenly matched. So this this could kind of help maybe give us some context as to where they fit in um, in the local. You know, that's always the thing. Scheme. It's kind of when you're doing power rankings or something. It's kind of like it's hard to slot old Colony. I run into that sometimes when I'm doing super teams, like calling around or talking to a bunch of different coaches, just kind of picking their brains and who are the best players you saw this year. And of course, the SEC coaches all have their thing. And Dartmouth and New Bedford and Stang have often played each other. Mm. And then old Colony's kind of out on this island where like. Unless maybe you're a low-level SEC team, you played them, or maybe Westport played them, but like not even that happens that often. So yeah, you know, no, nobody's uh, the other coaches that we talk to have often seen Old Colony, so they yeah they kind of uh in a world of their own over there. But they've been very solid this year. They've been very solid for a few years in a row under Brandon uh, Mendes. They've kind of built a little bit of what Justin Kogler has there of kind of that high floor mm-hmm. where they're kind of always going to be competitive. They're always you know. They're not going to just have this terrible down season, at least we haven't seen it yet. So I'm curious about this one. I really is, I, I is, don't know uh, which one this one could go, except that I do feel like it's going to be low scoring. Is their coach also their athletic director? Or? So the first year that Brandon Mendes took over, him and Matt Trahan, who's the athletic director. And also the basketball coach. And also the boys' basketball coach, shared coaching duties. And then for the last couple of seasons, it's Brandon Mendes' team. Okay. Well, then maybe Matt uh, Trahan, maybe we could, you know, again, selfishly or maybe – I don't probably other sports fans in the area would like it, but maybe an early season Fairhaven matchup, an early season Wareham matchup. Like if we could kind of know they they play Case uh, in basketball at least, so I know mm-hmm. they they've been trying to schedule a few teams, yeah, uh, kind of that SEC level. Just kind of get those so, com- few more common of those, opponents. Yeah. That would be it. Would be fun for the kids if they played a Friday night game early in the season. I imagine, and they so. got a Friday night game this last week at home. It was homecoming. Uh, they brought in the lights, rented them out, so that maybe gave them a little extra boost in that win over South Shore. Yeah. So, but back to the regularly scheduled Saturday afternoon games. Old Colony also taking advantage of the fact that five of their seven regular season games this year are at home. They're supposed to have four out of seven, and then one of their opponents uh, couldn't play at home, and they had to switch it to Old Colony. So, only two road games during the regular season. For like the that home cooking. Absolutely. They enjoy it there. So, that is our slate of games for week six in uh, high school football across the South Coast. Thanks for joining me, Sam. Did you have a good time? Yeah, this was fun talking talking ball. Uh, so, you going to be out of the game this Friday? Or? Yeah, I'm going to make it to the Dartmouth-New Bedford game. You know, um, I just got a dog who's been pretty, like, uh, rambunctious. Finn for all those out there who... Uh, yeah, I got a dog, and he had a little bit of an accident. Uh, so he's he's on the mend, so I don't think I have any... Uh, I think I might be able to sneak out for, for an hour or two on Friday. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the game I'm going to be at. And, you know, kind of... I'm always impressed with Rick White and his staff. Uh, again, I think... Um, you know, a couple young their defensive coordinator does a really nice Coach job. Martin. Yeah, yeah, good job. So they're always just an impressive. You know, the record doesn't show it, but uh, they're an impressive team. And I think New Bedford, if they can ride that ride that crest of kind of the fourth quarter of last week, they uh, win this one. They knock off Brockton in week seven. They make the playoffs. They could be dangerous. Yeah, they're riding high. There's not going to be too many. The problem know. is at this point, they're kind of locked into maybe seven seed of the best case scenario. Yeah, and then you're facing like a Natick or a yeah, you know, top one of those. two seed. Like if they could have gotten in as a, as a three, four, five, like in there, they could have, yeah. I'm sure they could have won a game. But that's the game. classic one, one game at a time. One yep, game at a time, one snap. I'm getting at ahead time. of myself here. Yeah. True football coach over here. Well, as always, thanks for listening to the South Coast End Zone podcast. You can listen to it on iTunes, Omni, Google Play, Stitch, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you enjoy it, please subscribe or give us a nice rating. You can follow along on a lot of these football games on Friday night on our Twitter handle at SC underscore varsity. You can read all the stories later that night at southcoastvarsity.com. And you can read everything in Sunday's print edition of the Standard Times. <laughs>